gentlemen. Welcome to the Bitkash Shikan podcast. Thank you so much Twinkle for being here. And uh, it's an absolute honor and pleasure. Thank you. I'm deeply honored. Thank you so much. I think we love you. You say a lot of the things we are thinking so that you said this. We think a lot of the things that you're writing in your columns and we're like, "Yes." Uh so and and I think that's why a lot of us have, you know, left the families, left the husbands, a few husbands still decided to come. <laughs> I can see one man here. He's outnumbered. I think that's Vinamru. Vinamru and Rubul are are there with uh, representing mankind. So we wrote you a dedication. Twinkle twinkle little star. Unapologetic about who you are. With words that dance and take their chance. Welcome to paradise. Your latest plan. spellbinding men women and all your fans simply because she can that's very kind thank you so much that's lovely thank you thank you so that with that dedication i leave the floor open to you uh we love your book i found welcome to paradise uh, i read it over one night and i found it uh, frightfully fresh and refreshing uh while i think the world decides to drown themselves in fountains of youth uh i think you've decided to touch on complex subjects like death and aging uh with extremely strong central women characters so my question to you is what inspired you to talk about this and what made you write this i think i'm also at a stage uh in life where i'm going to be 50 this month and um i don't feel it some days i think i'm oscillating between feeling like i'm 25 and definitely like i'm 60 uh so it's it's definitely not 50 and um i looked around me by now i've lost a lot of people my friends have been losing their parents and i can see the finishing line it's not as unclear as it used to be and i suppose some of that seeped in and i was also thinking that as we get older and especially this is for women um we start turning invisible because so much of our power and our self esteem is wrapped in the way we look for men it doesn't matter i've said this before you know they start off life at least indian men looking like the back of a dented bus <laughs> and they continue that way and it doesn't really matter you know whether they have hair or they don't or what happens to them so <laughs> So I began to see all these women that you know as our eyesight's worsen people seem to become blind and as we have to put on our hearing aids they are turning deaf and I thought to myself that these women have to have a voice because they have wonderful rich lives and I would rather spend my time talking to a 70 year old who has seen it all who has so much to give me than you know a 25 year old who's uh, you know probably just lived life on Instagram I love that. I think uh, and and I think that's food for thought for all of us. Uh but when we talk about 25 year olds, I'd love to go into your past a little bit. Uh you come from a very illustrious Bollywood family. You were incredibly smart as a child, 97% in maths. I don't remember I don't remember the marks, but <laughs> you yeah, got your I, mark I sheets maths. out. Um so we'd love to know a little bit more about your childhood. uh your interest in academics and your you know and stepping into the glamour world 
Uh, we also have some fun photos of you as a child. <laughs> as a child, I uh, was immersed in the world of books. And one of the reasons why that happened was I really thought that my body was failing me. And it wasn't really the size or the shape, but the actual physical structure. I was breaking bones all the time. I've broken every bone in my body. I've got 40 ligament tears in my left leg, 10 in my right. I collect ligament tears like other people collect stamps. And for a very long time, this... So Mrs. Funny Bones comes uh, from a very literal source. Like, I have funny bones. It's not really just because I'm funny. But... Uh, a lot of this anguish was alleviated because I discovered books and I could disappear into them. So even if I was laid up in bed and I could not really move, in my mind I was running. And um, and for me that became my world. And at that time, whatever I was agonizing over the fact that I didn't really fit into the world the way it was or that you know I was constantly injured turned out to be assets now when I'm 50. Maybe I'm a writer because really my joints can't take any more dancing around trees. So yeah, thank God for that. <laughs> but how did that translate into movies? So from academics to books, how did that, the first step start into the glamour world? Like many people here, I'm sure, whatever their parents did, if you have a mithai shop, then you become a mithai wala. <laughs> it was as simple as that. <laughs> so my parents were very keen. My mother was very keen. I had applied for my CA entrance exam because that's what I wanted to do, strangely enough. And uh, my mother told me that, you know, this is the only time you can sort of become an actress and then later you can do what you like. And today when I berate her and I say that, you know, what the hell, you forced me to do something and, you know, I could have had a successful career as a writer right from then. She says, well, you know, what would you have done now? You would have just become obsolete. <laughs> so, yeah, she has to have the last word even there. So, moral of the story is always listen to mama. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. I, I also would like to add that this happens and I've tried very hard not to do the same thing. I think as mothers, we fulfill our ambitions and our ideas of what we want and we pass that burden on to our children and we shouldn't. So you look at your child and you see your child's, you know, skills and strengths and just go by that, not what you really wanted to do in life or what you think is best for them because eventually they will shun that and uh, shine in the way that they need to. I love that. And, and you know, I think just picking up from that, uh, Twinkle, a lot of us actually are young mothers or older mothers, but a lot of mothers. Um, and you know, unfortunately, there's no manual when it comes to having kids. And now that you're talking about tips and tricks, so what are some of your parenting hacks or what is something that you would love to leave us with? I'm not an expert. Kids. I mean, it's not like my child grew up and beca became Dalai Lama that I can tell you that I did this the right way. Um, I learned a lot with my first child. And I think your first child tends to be that manual. You experiment a little bit on that child. And um, with my second one, what I realized, I thought that she looked, um, you know, like a normal Indian girl. And, I, and there was always this comparison between her and her brother in skin color or, you know, things like that. Things that exist in our country. And I decided that I'm going to make sure that she believes she's absolutely wonderful. So if she has a unibrow... I told her that, look, you're as beautiful as Frida Kahlo and she was as amazing and so are you. And if she, you know, is brown, it would be like your skin is golden. And so eventually one day, I think my proudest moment was when she was sitting with her brother 
and we were going to the beach and he was putting on sunblock and she said you know i don't really need so much sunblock because my skin is greater than yours and she said a white t-shirt gets dirty but a brown t-shirt doesn't you can't see it so my, i'm greater and i thought that was a triumph i i love that and i love that and uh just i think bringing on the fact that you brought on your daughter i think one of the things that was trending was uh, a slightly famous person asked at your last book launch is uh, the main characters are all women so i just want to know whether uh, men are irrelevant in like any guesses on this famous person <laughs> um and 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 to be honest i was delighted by a cheeky response but uh, i would love your views on this like every time you talk about you start talking about feminism or women or you know women are good or because she can there's this whole segment of like are we irrelevant but what are your thoughts on feminism and are men irrelevant no so i'll ask you first do you think men are relevant let let's put you on the spot <laughs> think about it or oh, not at all i i love the men in my life they've literally been my strongest supporters and backbone okay so you think they're completely relevant and they are the reason that you're sitting on this stage exactly i know he is so was mine <laughs> so i think my husband deliberately asked me that question because three times i told him come and sit in the front row with the family and he decided to sit at the back and this was his way of trying to make up you know make it up to me in some way but it stumped me i don't think men are irrelevant i think that uh, they are um, as relevant as the women in our movies um <laughs> and i keep saying this repeatedly you know i mean i i think we do need men um because it's almost like a handbag you can carry your things in a plastic bag but it's nice to have a kelly you know it's pretty much that so <laughs> having said that i think it's an equal partnership but what is real equality uh, a lot of women here will say that we are probably on the forefronts of progressive relationships but how progressive are we when even if we are working and making money and doing all the things 90% of the childcare still our responsibility household duties are still our responsibility so we are making that progress but are we equal we're definitely not and the only way we are going to get ahead is if we teach our kids our sons and daughters to make sure that they build this equal world we are still suffering from you know hundreds of years of patriarchy but we'll get there and uh, you know one handbag one dessert one <laughs> relevant irrelevant man at a time i love that one step at a time and i think um, and and what really inspired me and uh, i think a lot of us already know uh, and it's been spoken about is how you took time out to uh, to go study uh, again these are thoughts that are in a lot of our heads kabhi mai you know mujhe bahar ja ke padhna hai ya i i want to start my business or i want to do xyz things but we keep putting that off you took time out from work from life and you know you sign up for one of the best colleges and you go study i think is very inspiring but also step in this direction of becoming more and more relevant 
what made you do it? What was this experience like? A lot of people I've been seeing these days there are videos online where people say we don't tell people our big plans because you know there's nazar and it never happens. I've been seeing a lot of these videos around and I am completely the opposite. I go around saying random things. So I'll keep saying like these days I've been going around saying that I think I want to become health minister. I don't know if it'll happen, but I'm just going around saying these are all my big plans. So in a similar fashion I used to keep saying that I want to go back to university and there was a time I would take my son when he was in school to the school counselor. and i would keep telling him i want to go back to university and he said you know this is a time for you to concentrate on your son and you know maybe when they are older and i said that's really misogynistic and i'm going to put you in a column so he kept quiet <laughs> um, but i think in the pandemic when a lot of people were reevaluating their lives i also looked at it and i did 6 months of an online course two online courses at oxford and i loved it i felt i was submerged in the world of writing i was learning so much it felt like my brain was thrown into a washing machine and it was coming out all sort of fresh and clean ideas were coming out and so i decided i'm going back uh to university and strangely enough by then my son uh was old enough and we were both applying to universities at the same time our fourth choice was kingston and we both applied and then we were horrified because if we got in then we'd be on the same campus no. <laughs> so he said well, so then we had a pact that if we do then I'm going to say that I don't know who you are and you have to pretend you don't know who I am and uh, and that was it but luckily he got his first choice which was Central St Martin's I got into Goldsmiths and and that was that was it and it was an absolute joy I think um, I you know after so many years I had a uni group I don't remember the last time I had that and we were four of us so there was a lady who was 66 so older than me there was me the 50 year old and uh, 49 well yeah but i like to say it's 50 you know just get there and get done with it <laughs> and the 25 year olds so yeah the two buddies and the two young ones and it was lovely lovely and so what did that take like it just meant telling yourself that i'm going to do it like what does it take to break that mental stereotype I grew up first of all in a family which uh, you know was not the conventional family so the whole system and the hierarchy of asking people for permission never existed there was no one to ask permission from and um I think I just have to go ahead and do it I was very lucky that my family supported me that my husband was you know fine with the fact that I was moving countries and you know taking my younger one but even if he would not have been fine I would have still done it but it would have been very very difficult and traumatic and you know there'd be a lot of yelling and screaming but uh he he was okay with it so that happened I just think you know you have to have two things you have to have a wish list which you make once a year and then you have to have your everyday to do list and i don't look at the wish list after making it it's what i have to do every day get on with it good bad ugly and i'll somehow reach those items on my wish list so yeah uh, i'm a list maker i would suggest everybody does that too <laughs> i love that and i and i and especially like that about just you know i think we're afraid to just say it So I would love you as a health minister. So you know, Fiki Flo will. So that she's looking at me, but Fiki Flo is right behind you, like championing you for health minister next. I would have to join the BJP, <laughs> but so I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> um. So again, I think a lot of the topics you talk about, um, you know, they are societal issues that concern us or not. uh so you will talk about government policy you will talk about public hypocrisy uh you've talked about aging 
you've talked about mother-in-laws you've talked about luxury bags uh what how has this world view evolved for you in terms of and and what drives you to comment to you know comment on what's happening in society um i don't know what drives me it it's just that maybe in fact it's a nicer way because when i was younger i would just be standing in the middle of parties and making offensive jokes <laughs> and now i have time to you know edit a little bit of all that offensiveness out but i've always been somebody who's kind of looked at the world in a pragmatic manner and presented it in a pragmatic manner and people mistake that for sort of humor because very few people seem to be able to see the truth and even speak the truth so it's it's humor is linked completely to uh, the absolute truth and you know i was thinking of asking you this and i didn't know mrs you know aka funny bones it's it's a really hard name to have you know it's a lot of pressure like do you show up like is there a lot of pressure to say funny things or be funny or how do you deal with that there's definitely pressure i mean when i walked in sudaji just told me oh you know you have to say something that will connect and entertain people and all of that i mean it's something like that and i said i'll, I'll you know i'll try and i'll do a reasonable job i can't promise you so there is pressure everywhere but you get used to it and luckily if you asked me oh you know you have to go on stage and be really diplomatic maybe that would be a lot more pressure this i can handle yeah i love that um so acting versus writing and i know we we we've, we've spoken about this we know you your mom wasted 20 years of your life making you act and writing is better but um what are some of the life experiences from acting and what are your you know what are your learnings as a writer like how are the two experiences for you everything that you do uh adds up it's an amalgamation of uh, all your experiences that kind of nurture your writing i think as an actress it was i tried very hard so i can't really tell people oh you know what i didn't really do well or i failed because i didn't put in my 100% and i wasn't interested i tried my best i just wasn't that good at it you were great no i wasn't and you know what i'm honest about it i wasn't but i really did try and um i think writing comes more naturally to me so if i had to pick between the two of course it would be uh, writing but i think that in order to act you well there have to be a couple of traits you have to be slightly narcissistic um <laughs> <laughs> i really didn't enjoy looking at myself in the mirror uh, you know a lot at that point of time and uh, now actually it seems uh, that writing has done to me what fillers seem to be doing for a lot of people <laughs> instead of worrying about the lines on my face i have to worry about what line to come up with next and i think that's a blessing right now um how is this experience of writing um uh, welcome to paradise for you you could have gone the easy way and compiled your columns and done um uh, you know but like funny bones to but you didn't you decided to go uh you know picked up fiction you've had incredibly transparent characters tell us about this journey for you like writing uh welcome to paradise and how did you how, why did you decide to actually make these decisions versus the easy way out so today is a strange day because before this i was at sundar nursery and so many people came up 
to me and in the audience questions, they were like, we love Mrs. Funny Bones. There was one young girl and she said, I read it 12 times and every time I'm crying, I open it because it's like homemade kheer. And I thought to myself that that was so lovely. And I take Mrs. Funny Bones for granted. I did for a long period of time. I thought, you know, this is something that comes easy. And I almost took a sabbatical from the columns because it didn't feel challenging enough. And then my publisher said, but it means a lot to many people. And actually, maybe I took a sabbatical because politics became so difficult um, that that I had to draw a line. And I was finding that, you know, um, odd. But now I'm thinking that maybe if so many people, you know, like Mrs. Funny Bones too, and I've been constantly putting that off, maybe it's time to do it. I don't know. You know, do you want to read Mrs. Funny Bones too? Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll look at it again. And, and f within Welcome to Paradise, you know, which, which has been your most favorite character and what have you really enjoyed writing the most? In uh, There's a story called Nearly Departed and it follows the life of Madhura Desai who's 86 and she writes to the Chief Justice saying that she wants the right uh, to avail of euthanasia. And I thought that that was really interesting because it's also her entire lifespan. So you meet her at different points. You meet her when she's 15 and then you meet her when she's 30 and you meet her when she's 45 and she's having an affair with a married man. And I thought it was, it was some someone I had to get to know very deeply. And uh, she has a great sense of humor and she says really, really smart things. So when people even tell her that, you know, you should go out there and make a lot of publicity and go out there, you know, guns blazing, she's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I could shoot someone, but then God forbid they take pity on me on my advanced age and give me life imprisonment instead. <laughs> so I thought that she is my favorite character. I love that. And I really enjoyed the story, of course. Thank you. Like I said, I think there was complexity and it made you think Thank you. Of, of what these decisions were. And what is paradise for you? Living in the hope that tomorrow is a better day. And that's what we're all looking towards because there is no happy ending. If you look at it at the end of everyone's life, we die and that's not really happy. So it's where you stop the story and what are those moments of joy? And it's we live in hope. I mean, we live in the delusion that we and the people we love are going to be immortal. But uh, it's so important for us to have that delusion to get anything done. What is the one thing you feel all of us should take back? So, I mean, I, am I Sadhguru now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you kind of put Karan Johar on the couch with Karan Johar on your book lounge. So I think you're really up there for me right now. <laughs> I think what I'd like to tell young women and older women and all sorts of women um, that there's always a line between things you failed at and being a failure. So if you look at the things, you must try everything. And when you fail at something, it's very important to make a demarcation between I failed at this and I'm a failure. And if you are successful in making the demarcation, then that's your part to success. You try everything. But you are never a failure if you fail. It's just you failed at those things and you succeeded at so many others. And I think that is very important. Final question from me, Twinkle. What does Because She Can mean for you? I don't know. I mean, there are many things she can't, but I think that it's just getting through every day, doing everything you can to the best of your ability. And that's all it means to me. Lovely. Love that. Thank you so much.